uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, we made it. We've been in Ephesians chapter 1 for many, many weeks, and, uh, but we, uh, we're moving on to um, chapter 2 this morning, and uh, excited to see some of the stuff that, that's uh, where we're headed uh, in this study. It's, we learned some different things, some good stuff so far, and there's, there's more to come. Um, but my question for you this morning, is your heart ready for this? Is your heart ready? Just ask yourself, is, is my heart ready? Um, you know, in the Bible, the, there's a story in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4, where, where Jesus talks about how uh, when the, when the Word of God, it's compared to seeds. Uh, very, and he says, he's talking to farmers and saying, it's just like, you know, when you throw seeds on the ground. He says, the ground, it, it, it's uh, represented by um, uh, hearts. He says, that's, that's, uh, that's what the, um, the ground in the story is. And he says, there's different kinds of ground, right? Like when you're in Sunday school, maybe you remember you did the little projects where they, you know, had the seeds. And then he says, the first type of heart, the birds came and just took it right away. You'll hear the word this morning. And by the time it's over, you'll have forgotten all of it. Uh, statistics say that you're only going to remember 3%. So that's not even in your favor this morning to uh, just kind of sit here and take it all in. Because it'll get stolen from you right away. For some of you, it says that the ground would be like, um, like rocky. So where the uh, seed was sown, it would grow. It's like you hear something today and you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm excited about that. And then, you know, tomorrow something bad happens in your life. And like, forget it all. You know, just, just toss it. Your heart is what's, um, what's uh, the key to this. It says the third type of heart is that um, the, the weeds grow up, and it talks just about cares of this world. That, you know, as the seed gets sown in your heart, and you're like, this morning, yeah, you know, that, I get it. That's for me. And then tomorrow, it's like, all of a sudden, man, I got to pay my bills. And God, you know, you know uh, I wish I hadn't quit my job. You know, God, it's like all these things start to, to, start to grow up in your life, and they'll try and choke that out this morning. The last thing it says is there's a heart where the soil is good and, and the seed that's sown in that heart actually grows and bears fruit in, the, in that person's life. My question is, where's your heart at this morning? I was talking to Grant Lamb. He's in Guatemala. I was talking to him this week. And he, he was, uh, we were chatting about farming and, uh, you know, what it has to be done um, uh, for the soil every year. And he says, it's different every year. It's always changing. But he says, there's some things that never change. A, you got to work up your soil to some degree. Uh, he says, and B, you got to get rid of the weeds. And he says, now we kind of level it in the fall. We make sure that that couple inches of soil is just perfect before the seed ever enters in it. My question tonight or this morning is, have you done some heart work uh, to say, you know what, is my heart ready? And I just want to give you a second just to, just to think about that. What's going on in your life? Did you come here with the expectation of, yeah, God, I want to hear you speak to me? Because I want to give you that opportunity to do that right now. You can turn over the soil, weed free it all, and just one quick thought of saying, God, yeah, would you speak to me? Would you just do that this morning? Would you say, God, would you speak to me? I, I can do all the prep and everything, but unless he talks to you, it, it's nothing. I know that. It's, it's nothing that I can do. So God, I do ask this morning that you would open our eyes to see you. God, I open our eyes that we, that we would see your power, that we would know your uh, hope, and that we'd know your word, that it would grow in, in hearts here this morning. Thank you for that. Know you can do that. Uh, if, you're in, if you got your Bible, uh, however you have it, I have it on iPad today somewhere. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to zip over to there. I uh, gave you some time to get there. We're in a, we're in a, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul wrote this, he didn't actually write, you know, okay, chapter 2, now uh, Ephesians church, we're going to start something new here. He's, he's continuing on the thoughts that he had just had. And what did he just uh, do for them? He just prayed like this massive prayer for them right before uh, he drops this uh, on them. Uh, maybe you came here this morning. How many of you come to church and you're like, man, you know, sometimes I, I really come to church hoping to be like uplifted and encouraged. You know, I like it when, you know, Mark shares some stuff that makes me feel like I, it's related and it's understandable and I feel better 
uh, when I leave than when I got there. Anybody, any of you uh, do that here at the church? No, three of you. Okay. Uh, the other ones, man, we just, we just hope you're just going to bash us, you know, make us feel about this small. No, most of the time you come, you're like, yeah, hey, I, I, I want to be encouraged, uplifted. Today, um, that's not going to happen. Not, not at first. Um, I, I know, and the masses were, you know, you're happy. That's what you guys were asking for. All right, so, uh, but, it, you know, as, as we read through Ephesians, it's, uh, it's, really, it's, uh, it's really important that you know that Ephesians 1 and 2 are not separate things because otherwise the first part of this is going to be really, really unhappy. And you might be sitting here this morning feeling really unhappy and really uncomfortable. Uh, that's probably the point. Uh, that's what um, Paul is talking about with Ephesians. But I'm going to challenge you, don't check out before the end because it'll get happy again if you last that long. All right, so uh, Ephesians um, chapter 2 and verse 1, it, it talks about this. It says, once you were dead. Once you were dead. Uh, that's a great way to start a, start a little, a little uh, story or, or message to somebody. You know, once you were dead. Uh, I have this neighbor, I won't mention any names, but he likes to play NHL over at my house. So he, uh, he comes over um, pretty regularly. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he came over wanting to play NHL, and uh, it was a Sunday, and uh, I told him at church, no, I'm not playing hockey today, you know. Uh, you just, just get, I'm taking the day off, you know, don't come bug me. And so uh, he's, uh, but I'll get a text, and he's at my front door. He's like, I'm at your door. I'm like, I'm not coming. And uh, he's like, knock, knock. He texts me. I'm like, no, I'm not coming. And I'm, I'm turning my phone off. And he's like, Mark, seriously, I got to talk to you just for one minute. And I'm like, no, no, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, I'll just let you wait there. 27 minutes later, he's still texting me. And so I'm like, Beth's like, you better go check. I'm like, it might be serious. And I'm like, it's not serious, I promise you. But then maybe it's serious. So uh, after like hundreds of texts, literally, I go up there and I like, open the door. And I'm like, hey, uh, what's up? He's like, uh, now the door's open. You want to play NHL? I'm like, no, you know. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he came in anyways. We had a fun time. It was all good. Uh, but I'm like, that's never happened again. I'll let him freeze out there before I you know, open the door. Well, the next uh, couple days later, it comes over and I get a text. I'm like, I'm at your door. I'm like, no, you know, you, we've tried this before. No. Uh, and uh, so he, he texts, he's like, it's a matter of life and death. And I'm like, man, like my job doesn't let me just throw matters of life and death out the window. I gotta go answer the door. I'm like, oh, seriously? Well, I'll go answer the door. And, and he's like, uh, it's a matter of life and death. So I'm like, okay, I'm coming up. I'm opening the door. I'm like, okay, this better be a matter of life and death. He's like, it is. I'm like, what is it? Oh, I forget. But you know what? If we played a game of NHL, I might remember. And I'm like, <laughs> so we tried, and he did remember. And it was sort of, sort of, but it wasn't like a matter of life and death, really. But today is. Today is. The, the message of today is a matter of life and death. I want you to think about uh, that as we're going through it. It says, once, once you were dead. There's two types of people here this morning. There's, uh, the, the idea is saying that once you were uh, there's this, this idea of, of um, remembering where you came from. Two types of people here this morning are one. There's good people here who just say, you know, as we go through all this stuff that we're talking about, you're going to be like, yeah, that's who I once was, but I'm not that person anymore. Some of you here, you're not going to be able to remember what it was once like because you're still in it. So I want to encourage you with that thought this morning to say, which one am I? If we don't remember where we com- came from, we, we don't really uh, know and understand and appreciate where we are. You know, we have so much stuff that we take for granted. We don't appreciate it because we don't know what it cost us to have it. Do you know, for, for, for most of you this morning, you woke up with enough clothes to, uh, to dress warm enough to, uh, to come here. You could by choice anyways. You have enough clothes um, that you would, you'd be able to be warm. Um, that's not the norm in, in uh, mo- uh, the majority of the world. 
Do you know, maybe, uh, maybe your parents, grandparents went through the war and they're always, you know, they, they, they remind us of the things that, you know, wasn't always this way. You didn't always used to have everything just kind of just right there. Uh, if you've been to Guatemala or overseas on missions, it's amazing. You know, you take your old clothes, you wear them the whole time you're there, and then at the end you decide, you know what, I don't want to take this home on the plane. You give it to people, and they are so happy just to have your old, you know, wrinkly, sweaty shirt that they're going to wash and they're going to wear and they're going to cherish. Why? Because they appreciate stuff because they don't have it. They don't have it. Um, for, for most of us, we wouldn't, uh, none of us would remember a time where the Bible wasn't written in the English language. Martin Luther, though, would remember back then where, you know, the, the price that it cost to have uh, the Bible written in a language that everybody could understand. And you know what? From that time, you know, we have so many versions and options, and yet it's not something we, uh, we always cherish because we have it. We take it for granted, not realizing what it costs. If you've been reading the news, there's a girl named Malala, uh, for, for many of you know uh, of her from Pakistan area, who... Um, who uh, stood up for women's rights and stood up for education for women and was shot as a result of it. Uh, and um, she's, uh, through her recovery, she's become one of the most famous teenagers of, of our time. Why? Because she's standing up for something that they don't have. She knows the price of the fact for, for women uh, to, to um, have rights and to be educated, something we take for granted all the time in our country. Paul is saying, remember where you came from because if you don't, you'll take for granted what you have or you'll misuse it or you'll misunderstand it. There's tons of people like, I don't want to go to school. School stinks. You know, why do we have to go to school every day? Uh, because you have the chance to. You know, why do, we, why do we read the Word? Why do we do church on Sundays? Because you have the freedom to. We may not always have this, but we do now. And he's saying, I don't want you to forget uh, what that's all about. So he says, once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins. He's saying, hey, you're dead because of this. But what he's not saying is that you're dead, you know, you were dead in sin because you sinned. He was saying, I want you to understand what, how, what this idea of once being dead actually looked like. Once being dead was not because, you know, you were born this cute, innocent, perfect little baby, just like Ivory was born a couple of days ago, and she's a completely, she's never sinned in her life, right? She's just this pure, spotless little, little, um, little girl. But it's not the case. Because what, what Paul is saying is that you were, you were born in a category of sin. It's, a, it's, a ca it's categorical. So, for instance, on this side, we're going to be, uh, you guys smiling at me? No. Okay, you guys are the sinners. All right, how about you guys? Yeah, you're smiling. All right, this side right over here, um, you're going to be the, the ones that are categorically right with God. This is the, the idea of saying there's either two categories. One is the category of being dead and being a sinner, and it has nothing to do with what you guys did. You were just born in it. If you're, if you're born on this planet, you're in this category of sinner. That's where you start the whole time. But the, the idea of being right with God, you've got to get out of that category and into this one. So Paul's saying it's not because, you know, that you guys over here, um, you know, you're, you're mostly good. you just got a few bad habits. He's saying that's not what I mean by you're dead. Um, my uh, daughter the other day as we were driving, she's like, mom's so mean. I'm like, really? What? Like, do we know every time about the same woman here? And she's like, why is mom mean? She's like, she crashed our favorite van. And I was like, what? I was like, it had a TV in it. And I was like, okay, well, what's wrong with this van? You know, it's nice. And it's like, it doesn't have a TV. Mom's so mean. And I was like, I don't think mom did that on purpose, you know. It was an accident. I said, so, so mom's not really mean. She's like, okay, she's not mean, but 
You know, now we have this junky van with no TV in it, all because mom crashed our van. And I remembered back to that spot where Beth um, parked the van underneath the back of a truck and um, uh, rolled up the thing. And I was glad that everybody was okay uh, in there. But when I took it to the mechanic and I took it to John Staginga, what he didn't tell me was like, wow, look at that. Yep, just an oil change and a filter and you're good to go. He says, listen, that's a write-off. He says, that is, and I'm like, please, it's got a TV. We've got to be able to fix it, right? And he's like, no, it's a, it's a write-off. See, but in our culture and in Canada and the way we're raised, we look at, the, and in our lives, we look at, you know, I'm not really a bad person. I've got a few kind of things I could probably work on. You know, an oil change and a filter, and I'm good to go. What Paul is saying is what I want you to realize is you're a write-off. There's absolutely nothing good. You were dead. He uses these words that are, you know, not really nice sounding this morning. And he says, and, and says you were born into it. You didn't even have a choice. I, um, I'm a kind of an aquarium hobbyist. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I don't know, maybe it's because we were Dutch. But when we had pets uh, as children, our whole goal was that it didn't matter what the pet was. We would try and breed them, uh, raise babies, and sell them. That was like, it was, it's just because every, every pet was a business. Like, um, my brother raised mice. He like had 300 of them in the basement and would sell them to people with snakes. And, and we had rabbits and, and uh, pigeons and guinea pigs and whatever we could. We were trying to have a business. Uh, and that sort of stuck with me, I guess, because here I got these little cichlids, these African cichlids that live in the tank. And I can't tell the difference between males and females, but I figured if I put enough of them together, something might happen. Well, something happened. And I had these little, little baby cichlids born in the tank. And I was like, man, these things are sweet, you know? And the parents protect them. And, and it's pretty pretty cool to watch, actually. And when you feed the fish tank, the cichlids, you know, all the rest of them eat. But the parents, they just protect the babies. Till they got so hungry, they just ate all my babies, ate all the profits. And I'm like, um, then I realized later on the pet store won't actually give you any money for your fish. They just take them. So it was a bad business idea anyways. But those little cichlids, guess what? They never, they never had the choice of what they were going to, you know, what they were going to do. They were born into captivity. They were never designed to live that way. They were designed to live, you know, free in some lake in Tanzania, Africa, wherever. But they're not meant to live in an aquarium. But they were born that way. And a lot of us, we think, you know, it's like this idea of we're born and we're just progressively making worse decisions and we're getting worse. And and because of that, God doesn't like us very much. But he says it's not that way. He says um, with Adam and Eve, he said that, that back then uh, when, they, when they were in the garden, God said to them, you eat the fruit of that tree, you're going to surely die. Well, we know the story that when Adam and Eve actually ate from the fruit of the tree, they didn't die. They got kicked out of the garden. They had to actually go and do some real work, but they didn't, they didn't die. And so it's like that thought of, well, what happened to them? Something died on the inside of them. They lost relationship with God. They lost the way things were supposed to be. And for the first time, Adam and Eve would feel pain. They'd have to work. They would, um, they'd experience sickness. They'd experience death. Why? Because that's what sin brought in. So sometimes we look at our world and wonder, you know, how could it possibly be this bad? The Bible just talks about it in Romans 5 that by one man's sin, everyone became sinners. So you were born into something you didn't even decide. But I would tell us that Paul's saying that every one of us was born into this category of sinner. And we're there until something changes. Um, you know, uh, there's a show called The Walking Dead. That's probably a good indicator or a good, uh, good example of, of a, a lot of people today. They're walking, they're alive. You're like, Mark, I'm alive? What are you talking about? I'm alive. I came to church. I, 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 I'm, I got up this morning, but on the inside, it's dead. Something dead. Uh, there was a preacher once who was talking to, uh, to these group of guys on the street, and he was talking about the weight of sin and the burden of sin. And, and the one guy's like, you know what? 
Preach, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel like the weight of sin. I don't feel the burden of sin on my heart. He's like, uh, then he starts getting all cheeky. He's like, you know, well, how much does sin weigh anyways? You know, is it like 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds? How much does it weigh? And and the preacher says to him, he says, listen, if I took a 400-pound weight and I put it on the chest of a dead man, would he feel it? The guy's like, of course not. Why not? He says, because he's dead. He's like, my point exactly. He says, you don't feel the weight of sin just because you're in that spot of being dead. He says, you don't, you don't have that, that thing of, uh, of it weighing on your understanding because you're dead. You know, the thing that, that, that we shouldn't be surprised at is what people are capable of. Because, you know, sometimes we look at people and we're like, how could you be that stupid? Seriously, why would you choose to become addicted to that? Why, why would you uh, treat people that way? How do you seriously think you were going to get away with cheating the government out of that much money? Like, what were you thinking? The Bible says that sinners sin. They don't have anything on the inside that's going to give them the opportunity to do stuff differently. And guess what? We would be in the same boat if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the thought is that, you know, it shouldn't surprise us when you read the news about Rob Ford and like how many more crazy things can this one guy do? He's in a category. He's in a category. Uh, you know, for those who are followers, of, who are not followers of Jesus Christ, the diagnosis isn't good. It's not good. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in this category. It'd be like going to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, hey, you've got a serious blood infection. It's going to kill you. And you've got two options now that you're here. Because Paul is saying that to every one of us. You're in this category. It's like you've got a blood infection that's going to kill you. You're basically dead. You've got two options. One is you can be like, la, 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 I don't hear you. You heard me. Or the other option is where most of us would say, if that was really us, we'd be like, okay, doc, that's not good news. Is there anything we can do about it? Yeah, you need a total blood transfusion. Something totally different's got to change you, but it's possible. You'd be like, okay, let's do it. Let's do something about that. And this morning, I would say, if you're, in the, if you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, I'm in this situation, I would encourage you not to be like, ah, it's just whatever. I, I would encourage you to make a, a decision about it because it's a very dark, dark picture. Ephesians chapter 1, or sorry, ver, um, chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, um, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Um, you know, people, what's he talking about? He says you were stuck in trespasses and sins because you lived according to the, the way of this world. There is so, such an influence in your life. You think you come on Sunday mornings and hear a sermon? Guess what? You're hearing messages preached to you every single moment of every single day that you're awake. If you've got a radio on, a television on, if you're driving and you see billboards, everybody's preaching for your attention. And they're sharing messages with you that are, are, are completely different than what, um, what the Bible would want to teach you. Last week, we, we talked about how the Bible is like that, that, um, that manual for your life, about how it makes, uh, makes life make sense. Sometimes people are like, man, you pay way too much attention to the Bible, you know? And, and it's kind of an old book. Like, how is it relevant today? My uh, challenge for you is you have a biblical worldview of life. Do you have a biblical worldview of marriage? What about parenting? Money? What about sex? You think about it the way the Bible does? Like, that's in the Bible? Yes. What about fun? Do you think about fun in, in a perspective of, of the way the Bible talks about it? That's what we're talking about when we say the, the seed being sown in the, in the heart, that it needs to be protected. Because if you, for most of you, you're born in Canada. You're born in a culture here that as you were raised in this, uh, in this culture, in this country, you're going to have values that have been put on you that are not biblical at all. Value like this. That life is only valued if it's convenient. Do you realize the number of abortions that happen in our country just because there is no real value for life? 
What does the Bible say? Every life is valuable, no matter what. Marriage. You know, you watch enough TV, marriage is, it's good for you as long as you're happy. What does the Bible say? That'll never bring happiness in your life. It says that the idea is that we lay down our lives for each other. We submit to one another. We respect one another. And out of that, you'll have the opportunity to have some joy in your marriage. But that's not what, it wasn't meant to make you happy. What about parenting? So much parenting is left up to daycares and schools where God said, I didn't give my, your kids to them. I gave them to you. Yeah, they can go to school, but you're the one to parent them. Yeah, they can go to Sunday school, but you're the one to put, uh, to instill values in their life. Money. You know, the, if you're raised in this culture, it's all about the money. Get more money. Get more stuff. You know, and it, it, in the end, uh, you know, it's whoever has the most toys wins. And yet you never feel it. You might be running that road and realizing it's just not the way. What does God say about it? He says, listen, it's all mine. I'm going to let you use it, but be a good manager of it. So when they say, hey, use it for this, use it for that. Um, sex, you know, we talk about that a lot of times here because it's so important that that, that gets done right. I don't know of anything in my counseling uh, stuff that I have to talk about more with people that messes them up is this topic. Why? Because you watch around, everything, yeah, everything you see and hear is like anytime, anywhere with anyone. Men, women, whatever, it doesn't matter. Husbands, wives, doesn't matter. What does God say? One man, one woman, in marriage only. Yeah, but, but, some people, the rest of you didn't amen, uh, you know, it might be one of you. I, if, if you're sitting next to your spouse and they didn't say amen, I'd be worried. Uh, but you have this thought of, Mark, come on, that's a little bit rigid, don't you think? Like, how can you be putting your views on me? Like, how can the Bible be, like, p- putting this, this view on, on what, what that should all be about? You know, like, it's not fun, it's not free, it's not whatever. Uh, let me ask you this. You think that it's, it's okay just to sleep with whoever, not sleep with, I, I'm going to change that. You think it's okay to have sex with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, wherever you want to, whatever. Um, I would ask you this. If you went to the Middle East and tried to take your thought, uh, your theories on that to the Middle East, take that to those countries, what do you think is going to happen to you? They'll kill you. It's exactly right. They will kill you. Why? Because there's this, this thought of, hey, don't put, don't put your view on the rest of the world. If you tried to do it, they'd kill you. You know, and, and it's the same, same thought for us, that we always want it to be right in our own eyes. And that's why the Bible says, don't think about just what's right in your own eyes. Line it up with what the Word of God says. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in all kinds of trouble. Fun is just whatever feels good to us, but, the, you know, at the expense of whoever. The Bible's talking about this idea of, you know what, our lives are lived to sacrifice and to serve other, others. And out of that, there's an incredible amount of joy. But Paul's saying to this church, he says, to these, remember these faithful saints, the loving, you know, faithful people? He's saying, you are all in this category. Every one of you was here. Paul doesn't let any of us off the hook in this. He says, this is where you were. What does it look like to live here? He says um, in, uh, in that same verse, he says, you lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He basically says there's two masters and you're not one of them. He says you have the chance to either serve Satan or serve, uh, serve the Lord. And there's no other choice. You're like, what? Serve Satan, Mark? How can you talk about stuff like this? I brought a friend today, and here he had to bring that up, you know? I told my friends this church was like happy and make, make him feel good. Guess what? Satan's real, and if you don't realize that, you don't realize what he came to do. He's got plans for your life. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal everything from you, and he wants to destroy you. That's what the Bible says in John 10. And, and for those of you saying you're in this category, you don't realize that that's what you're doing. You don't realize that when he offers you all of, uh, you know, the thoughts of you can just get more money, get more stuff, that he's actually trying to steal from you. 
when he's saying, hey, just live for yourself, he's actually trying to kill you. When he's saying, you know, um, you can have all this kind of pleasure that he's actually trying to just rob from you and destroy your life. It wasn't like you woke up in the morning going, oh, yeah, I serve the devil. All right, let me go offer my little brother on an altar here in my room and kill a few cats on the way to school. And, you know, that. Uh, you weren't thinking like that. I'm not saying you were like, you're doing this on purpose. But it says, if you're in this category, this is what it looks like. You're serving, you're serving um, Satan. And the Bible just says that it's a, it's a, it's a, he calls them children of disobedience. But it says children of disobedience is actually also translated children of unbelief. It's simply not believing in Jesus Christ puts you in this category, keeps you in this category. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this, not only were you serving Satan over here, it says you were, you were a slave to your flesh. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Paul wants to paint a picture of totally depraved, totally a person who's completely dark, and he says we all live this way. You know why he says all live this way? Because he wants you to realize, you know, that you, sometimes we like, we can't believe the heinous crimes people are capable of. We're like Hitler, no way that's possible. How did he, how could he have done that? He wants us to realize that we all were here. Why? Because as we see in the end, he says he doesn't want you to look at anybody else and judge them for where they are because you would have been there and were there and would still be there if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. So he's saying know who you once were. Um, it's why we live our lives focused on Jesus, looking to him, living by a different, uh, a different compass. Do you know what he also says here? It's that it's not that, that sin was just something outside of you. He says it's in you. It was in your flesh. You couldn't hide from it. There's this movie out there uh, where they talk about they build this village where they, they want to protect everybody, build these huge walls, forests, and they raise their kids in there, and they think, you know, evil's never going to get in. Well, all of a sudden, some, somehow evil happens in there. Why? Because it was in them. Uh, you know why it is? It's because it's by nature, it says, we're children of wrath, just as the others. It's by our nature that we lived this way. By our nature, it was pretty dark. You know, things operate and they live by their nature. In 2003, there was Siegfried and Roy. Now it's just Siegfried. Um, the Roy uh, met, had, a, had a tiger named Montecor. You know, and if many of you know that story where he put his head in the mouth of a tiger and the tiger decided today it was lunchtime. Didn't kill them, but destroyed their career. Why? Because tigers, white tigers, meant to eat people. That's their nature. So you don't go and mess with that. There's a story in 1970 where an orca named Cuddles uh, actually attacked all of his trainers twice. It doesn't matter what you call a killer whale. It's a killer whale. There's another one more recently called Tilikum. Tilikum killed three people at SeaWorld. Three people. You mess up the word Tilikum, it spells it kill them. Killer whales, their nature is to kill stuff. That's the whole idea we're saying this. It doesn't matter how pretty or how dressed up or how nice you look, um, maybe even on church on Sunday, if your nature is still here, it's your nature. The whole idea wasn't that, that we would become better people. It was that our nature would change. Um, some some want to say, you know, hey, I was kind, of a, you know, I was kind of, a, of a good person. But guess what? You were born into it. You, wanna, you, you know, sometimes um, some people don't realize that they were born into this nature, and they think, you know, kids are kids. They're just, they're just little angels. Guess what? They are not. Um, you know what? Just go check out the rumble room, and you'll see selfishness, violence, stealing, and lying all in one, like, one sentence. You know, that's mine. And no, it's mine. Bam. You know, oh, he did it, right? Like, it, you guys, a lot of you are like, I don't want to help out in kids' ministry. I don't want to miss the show up here. Guess where the show really is? Down there. 
you know, these kids, they said that they didn't learn that here. I know there are sometimes there's parents who think, you know, I took my kids to church, and they never hit each other until they came to this church. And then they went home, they hit each other, you know. That's what they learned at church. No, they didn't. That was down inside them. My kids, too, they beat each other up. Where'd they get that from? Their mother, right? But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They were born with it, right? They're born with it. They, 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 nobody had to teach them to be selfish. They, they're born with that nature. But before we get all upset at our kids and we start judging the animals and the kids for having that nature, what about us? What about you? Have you ever been in a place where you bought a house or bought something, you know, and you buy your house, it's like, this house is sweet, man. It's like, I love it. It's my favorite place ever. I'm so glad I got this. And then, then, then uh, you know, after the snow melts and you look at your neighbor's house, you're like, wait a second. That guy's house is it's a little bigger than mine. It's like, all of a sudden you're like, huh, you know, that's kind of sucky. And then as the summer goes by, wow, no dandelions over there. Huh. Even his lawn is greener than mine. And then he pulls in at a new Porsche, and you're like, and his car is newer than mine. This sucks. I hate it. I should have bought his house. I wish I hadn't done this. And what's happened? You just watch that nature try and take back over. That, that idea, that thought of, that's what matters. It's always trying to take control back in our lives. And it says that those type of people in this category, with that nature, born into it, just even simply being born into it, are subject to the anger of God. That's a hard thought. Come on, God, how's that fair? They were born into this. You know, Adam's decision puts everybody over here, that they're born into the spot where, where you're angry at them. I just want a God who's loving. You know, where's the God who's just all loving? Let me ask you this. Can you be loving? Yes, you can. It's not a trick question. They're like... <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Can you be loving? Yeah? Can you be angry at stuff? Yeah. So why can't God? A lot of times we want to think that he's got to be completely different than what we would be. But in, in, our, in our even understanding of goodness, we believe that you should be angry at things. When, when, you know, when, a, when a child prostitution ring gets busted up um, with 300 little kids that were involved in that, it better bring some anger inside of you. And if that doesn't bring anger inside of God, he ain't worth serving. So there's this idea, there's this anger and wrath that sin deserves. And for all of us, we find ourselves in this place of being dead. Paul's saying, I want you to realize that. I want you to understand that once you were dead, there was nothing good in you. you. There was nothing that, you know, you weren't on your way to getting good. He says, you're dead. You're dead. Like, thanks a lot, Mark. That was just really uplifting. I won't dismiss you yet because the next verse is just phenomenal. Why does he paint such a dark, dark picture? Someday when you get married, guys, you're going to go and look for a, a, a ring. I'll tell you, when you get out there, guess what they're going to do? They're going to put this little black satin cloth out, and they're going to put this little diamond ring on there, and it's just going to go, bam! It's going to look huge. And you're like, wow, $2,000 for that? That's amazing! You're going to buy it, and take it home, and she's going to look at it and go, wow, that's pretty tiny, right? Because it looks so much smaller on the finger than it does there. What's he saying? This idea of, the, of this dark, dark, dark place makes the next part look incredibly amazing. Don't miss this thought. It says this in verse uh, 4 and 5. But God, this might be dark, dead, and death and destruction, but God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he uh, loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He says, by grace you have been saved. God has the ability to change our nature. The glory of the gospel, the glory of good news, isn't the fact that you can become better, that you can go to church and by being at church you can become a better person. It's not it at all. Jesus never came to make um, bad people good. He came to make dead people live. 
So the thing is, what, if, we, if we don't get that, we're going to look at everybody around us and realize, well, they're not as good as I am. They've got to get gooder. Sheesh, they've been in church for like longer than me. It's not about that. It's not about, uh, it's not about behavior modification. He never, he, he never really cared about changing that. He wanted to change here and he wanted to change here. And that's, that's where the gospel is all about. Uh, you know what? God didn't, uh, the, the good news, it wasn't that he sent someone and said, hey, here's the good news for you. If you do better, then I'll like you. Okay, God, I'll try to do better. Oh, man, I didn't do so well. He's saying it's nothing like that at all. He says, I know you're dead. I know you have nothing to offer. I know that there was nothing good in you. I know that you guys turned on me way back when, and I know you're born into a situation that you really don't want to be a part of, and I'm going to offer you hope, I'm going to offer you chance, and I'm going to offer you life through, uh, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, rich in grace and rich in mercy. You know, it's not, it's not the um, fear that's going to make people serve God. You can't scare people into serving God. It just won't. You can't scare people into loving God, not long term. You know, as as a kid, you go to, you know, you go to Christian camp, you know, as a kid, I don't know, maybe you didn't go, but uh, I'll tell you, it's a little bit, usually the same. You know, they have, they have fun and games all day long, then they have campfire at night, and then they play kumbaya on the guitar, and then they have somebody share, right? Usually it's a missionary from some other country, and they come and they tell you stories, and so the, you know, there'll be that guy who talks about the stories, like, all right, kids, look into the fire. This is what hell is like. You know, you don't want to go there, do you? And all the kids are like, no, I don't want to go there. And then they throw some gas on it. And go, You're like, oh, I don't want to go there. You know? And so he's like, all right, everybody, if you don't want to go there, let's pray. And, and all the camp counselors and the leaders and everybody, like, okay, we'll pray, we'll pray. We don't want to go there. And it works for a little while, right? You're scared. And like, I'm not going to do bad stuff because I don't want to go to hell. But guess what? There's no power in you not to do bad stuff. Why? Because it's in you. That, unless that nature changes, there's nothing there. But it says this, God's rich in, in mercy and in grace. What's mercy? Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Picture this. You're driving uh, along, and a police officer, he catches you and pulls you over, and this is what you're doing. You're going 50 over. You're not wearing your seatbelt. You're texting while driving. You passed a stop school bus. You ran a stop sign. You're towing your brother-in-law on a toboggan behind you. <laughs> and he pulls you over and says, um, yeah. The speeding, the seatbelt, and p- passing a bus, yeah, that's 18 points. Um, pulling your brother-in-law on the toboggan, that's another two, you know, um, and uh, passing that school bus, you know, you got a bunch. Uh, and so, you know, if you're there, he says, justice for you is going to be, uh, we're taking your license away, you're going to do jail time, you got a, between a two and $10,000 fine. You know, the judge is saying that to anyone who's guilty. They're not like, yeah, judge, that's good. And he's like, I don't throw the death penalty in on top of that. You're like, okay, thanks, judge. I, I love the justice. I'm glad you're, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be like, what? Death penalty? My dumb brother-in-law was his idea, right? Like, I, I'm going to die for this? No. And, and they beg for mercy because it's what we desire is, is what we, what we desire is we don't get what we deserve. And that's what God says. He's rich in mercy. He, he, he forgives uh, and gives us um, uh, or doesn't give us what we deserve. And he says, but the other side is true too. It's not just mercy, it's grace. I'm going to give you what you never deserved. And that's, a, again, relationship with me. That's, again, the chance to be blessed. That's a chance to have a new start, a chance to have a new life. And he says, I did all that when Christ was crucified. So before you were born, you were guaranteed to end up in this situation. But before you were born, Jesus decided, I'm going to create a way that you don't have to be in there, and you can be in this category. Categorically right with God. All that depends on is Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning, you know, as we talk about this, you know, and I ask, what, which one are you? Are you once were here, or do you still find yourself here? Is Jesus, not that you just believe that he exists, is he Lord of your life, that I live my life with him in mind, that I wake up every morning, I don't got it perfect, but I'm living to serve him. 
I, I, my, my heart is that God, I could not be God in my life. I messed that up. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live for you. Has that happened in your life? Well, I go to church a lot. I got to be closer to here now. He says, categorically, you're not there. I end with this thought. What's so amazing about grace? What's so amazing about grace? We sing that song. This is amazing grace. What's so amazing? I think the only, the, the best way that I, that I can picture it is how my brother-in-law shared it. Wes said something like this. He says, picture you getting married. You're at the altar. There you are. She looks wonderful in her white dress, and you, you know, you're dapper and suave, and, and you're right, just about ready to, to share your vows with each other. And then all of a sudden, the pastor, he's like, we're going to do the vows right now. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Yeah, God just talked to me. Hold on. Okay. Really? All right. Okay, bud, just want to tell you that she's going to cheat on you three times. She's going to bankrupt you financially. She's going to cause you all kinds of incredible heartache. She is going to stress you out, and you're going to end up in the hospital as a result of it. She's going to break your heart. Okay, let's do the vows. I take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. How many of you are going through with that? Not so much. What's so amazing about grace is that God knew that that was going to be us before he ever said, you know, I'll, I'll give my son. I'll sacrifice it all for the chance that they would receive that, for the chance that they would say, I'll take this gift uh, of amazing grace. It says God made the first move. He did. It says while we were still sinners, while we were still dead, Jesus died for us. See, the thing is, we talked about a God who's angry. He's angry at the sin in any person who wants to remain in this spot. There's anger that we deserve, fully deserve. He says this, that you don't have to. You don't have to be in a place under the wrath of God. You don't have to be in a place under the anger of God because God made the first move and said you don't have to stay in a place where you're going to be judged uh, anymore. You don't have to be in the place um, where you're guilty. You don't have to be in a place where, where ultimately you would go to hell. He says you don't have to be in that place because he said he made the first move. My question for you this morning is how will you respond? The ball is in your court this morning. Will you remain in a life of just unbelief and say, you know what, I, you know what? <laughs> I didn't like that very much. That was kind of a sucky message. I wish I'd stayed home today. But you're not here by accident. This morning, again, two types of people. There's those of you who know this was once me, but it's not me anymore. I trust in Jesus Christ, not in anything I've done. And because of that, I've received the free gift of salvation. I believe in him, that he is Lord. And you're in this category right here this morning where you're right with God. But I would encourage if you, if you're that person this morning, to just be praying for those this morning who are still here. My question for those is for those of you who are still here. You've never said, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life. You've never said, you know what, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I don't have this life together. I haven't figured it out. You've never been in the place where you've admitted that, you know, in you there's nothing good. And, and God, I, I trade this for you. God, I receive a free gift. Maybe you've gone to church a long time. This is not a matter of church or not. It's a matter of life and death. Literally. The Bible just says that if we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we'd repent, which means change your mind about the way you're doing life and realize, I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. If you would give your life and live it in following Jesus Christ, he just automatically takes you out of there and puts you right here, right with God. Why is this so amazing? Because if it wasn't about your sins back then and how bad and how messed up you were, that didn't stop him from loving you, which means that if you're here believing in Jesus Christ and you don't get it perfect, you still mess up, guess what? It doesn't change the fact that he loves you. 
There's many of you that, you know, you're, you're, you're following the Lord, you live for God, and you, you mess up, and it just is like wrecks you. How could God possibly love me? I'm just so worthless. I'm dirty. I'm a rotten worm. Guess what? You're not. Why? Because categorically, you're here now. He says, you're right with me. You're a saint. You're my child. I love you. You're incredibly blessed. Just own it. In Christ, you got all that. This morning, I want to do something we never do here. I just want to ask you to bow your heads. I believe sometimes there's moments of this where decisions need to be made. I want to ask you this morning, if you're sitting here and listening to this, and if God is speaking to your heart, not just for me, not just emotions, but you feel like, man, something's just, my heart's pounding. I feel like I'm that person who is still in that place of, of being spiritually dead. I, I've never given my life to Christ, or maybe if I did, I'm not living for him. I, I feel like I can't say that was once who I was. I feel like that's who I still am. This morning, God's given you the opportunity, given you the opportunity by saying that Jesus was sacrificed 2,000 years ago. That's still powerful today, that he died in your place. That's saying that, that that can all be forgiven. You can have a new shot, no matter what it was in your life, no matter what you feel are like the sins in your life, that he can forgive all of that this morning and give you a fresh start, a fresh chance, that, that life is no longer just feeling that I'm dead inside, but I, I want to be alive. My question for you this morning is if that's you, you say, you know what? I don't want to live the way I'm living anymore. I, I, I believe that what you're saying is true. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to change my mind and live a different way. I want to follow, be a follower of Jesus Christ and receive his grace and his mercy on my life today because I need it. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. I just want to pray with you this morning. So if that's you, if you just raise your hand, let me know that, uh, that I can pray with you this morning. Yeah, I see you. Yep, I see you. I knew there would be some of you this morning here. I didn't know by face or name, but I just knew. Holy Spirit, I pray you speak to the hearts of every person here this morning. Anybody else? Cool. We're going to pray together this morning, just even as a group. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not awkward or different for you. We talk to him, <laughs> relationship with him. So this morning, would you just join me and pray? Uh, together, Would you just repeat after me with every, every other person? And those of you who raise your hands, would you speak this from your heart this morning to him? Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that without you, I'm nothing. I know I've messed it up. God, but I believe you made a difference. I believe that you came and died for me. I want to live my life for you. To turn from that and follow you. I receive your grace and mercy this morning. Make me a new person, God. Father, I thank you for that powerful prayer this morning. That out of a genuine heart, that is life-changing. Jesus, I want to say thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for the reality of how my life has changed because of you. God, for those who are receiving you for the very first time, Holy Spirit, I pray you just fill them with your love right now. Would you just, uh, uh, even as they walk out of this place, continue to speak words of life and truth into their hearts. And as they face difficult times tomorrow, which I know they will, that, that just that understanding and realization that you'll never leave them uh, rings out louder in their hearts. Father, thank you 
Thank you for uh, the fact that you didn't leave us where we were, but you saved us. You saved us. We give you praise and we give you glory and we thank you from our hearts this morning for who you are and how amazing you are. God, it's in your, in your name, the name above every name. In the name of Jesus that we pray these things this morning. Amen.